This is a message that I preached some years ago. I'm going to say it's probably the most important word that God has ever given me. Hadn't preached it here yet, but about a week or two ago, the Holy Ghost dealt with me to preach it here. And uh, it's a message that uh, kind of developed over time. In fact, uh, Brother Frank may remember I preached something called The Two Women in Charleston. <clears throat> and that was the beginning of God dealing with me about this. But uh, I hadn't preached it here, and some of you may have heard it, but I'm going to preach it uh, for the benefit of this body. The Spirit of Antichrist is what we're going to discuss today. Let's read in verses uh, 41 and 42. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. Jesus Christ speaking here throughout Matthew 24. He's describing the characteristics of the last days before He returns. Throughout this whole chapter, He's describing the atmosphere, the spiritual atmosphere on planet earth. Before he returns, it says here in verse 41, as an analogy, two women, and that's the way we're going to look at it. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 1, it says this, Know also that in the last days perilous or dangerous times shall come. Well, Brother Red, I don't believe I can lose my salvation. Well, it wouldn't be a dangerous time if you couldn't lose your soul. It's a foolish doctrine that men would preach such things. Well, there's not really that much great deception now, Brother Britt. Well, then why does the Bible tell us that in the last days there's going to be a dangerous time? When Brother Greer came from Longview down to the rehearsal dinner, Pastor Greer, and he told me that he came down I-49 from Shreveport, to Lafayette, and uh, when he got on I-10 I and went into Baton Rouge, he said the traffic was backed up for miles and miles and miles because of the construction. And he told me, he said, I wish I would have turned there at, at the highway at Opelousas, which is Highway 190, and I would have, you know, bypassed all that construction if I would have known that. And my response to him was, oh, but that's a dangerous highway. Now, why did I say that? You know why? Because a lot of people get killed on Highway 190. There's a lot of accidents that take place there. It's a dangerous road. The Bible here tells us it's a dangerous time in the days that we live. Why? Because there's all types of people, men and women, that claim to know God, claim to love God, that are falling to the left, to the right, receiving deception, being deceived, receiving another gospel, another spirit, another Jesus. It's a dangerous time in which we live. That's why in verse 42, Jesus said, watch. And that word watch in the Greek means to be awake, not asleep. To be awake, to be vigilant, to be aware, or to be alert. Two women are going to be in the field. One's going to be taken, one's going to be left. They're both going to be grinding at the mill. At the return of Jesus Christ, we can know three things from that Scripture right there. There will be a professing Christian church in the earth consisting of two parts. One false, one real. I said there will be a Christian, a professing Christian church in the earth 
One will be true. One will be false. One will be counterfeit. One will be genuine. Throughout the Scriptures, the church of Jesus Christ is referred to as a spotless and pure virgin. That parallel is made throughout the New Testament, and that's the bride of Christ. Conversely, the counterfeit or the false church has been referred to as an adulterous harlot or whore. You want to read about that? You look in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 31 is a spiritual type of the true church. And the outstanding feature of that virtuous woman is her faithfulness to her husband. You read all through that Proverbs 31 and that's what you see. Her faithfulness to, the, to him who she's espoused to. Proverbs 7 is a type of a strange woman. And her glaring attributes are her unfaithfulness, her flattering words or tongues, The Bible says her ways are unmovable, that you cannot know her. I can tell you one thing. This strange woman, this counterfeit false church, this other Jesus is just hard to pin down exactly what she believes. If you talk to her one day, she believes one thing. You talk to her another day, she believes something else. It's hard to pin down what her ways are. Proverbs 7, type of that strange woman. To the undiscerning eye, these two women be doing the same thing. They'll be involved in the same task. They'll be grinding at the mill. I said to the undiscerning eye. To a man that doesn't think spiritual, that has a mind of Christ, that has discernment, these this thing all blended together. These two women be doing the same thing. They'll be out preaching. They'll be out feeding the poor they'll, uh, uh, and, and clothing the poor. They'll be out doing works, you know, good deeds. They'll be in the church house lifting their hands. They'll be speaking in tongues. They'll be doing all that the real is doing. But listen to me, it's something underneath. It's something a matter of the heart. It's something that's the foundation of the thing that's different. You've got to look further than just the surface to see this thing. You've got to go talk to that woman. You've got to find out what's in the heart. You've got to have the mind of Christ to, deceive, to see it and to discern it. One woman represents the true bride of Christ. The other, the mistress of the Antichrist. I said the true is the bride of Christ that's being prepared for Jesus Christ. And the false is the mistress of the Antichrist that is also being readied and prepared for her Lord. The true church is being prepared for Jesus Christ. The bride is readied for the groom. And the mistress is prepared for the Antichrist. There's a preparation going on in the land right now. It's just what spirit is preparing you and I. Two spirits that are preparing these two bodies. I said there's two spirits preparing these two bodies. That's what we're going to talk about today. The spirit of Antichrist. Amen. The depth of this mixture is more than likely beyond our comprehension. This mystery crosses all denominational, racial, economic, cultural lines. But the Holy Ghost knows which one are His. I said God knows which one are His true children. There are two spirits as we talked about to prepare these two women. One prepares the true bride. Who's that? That's the Holy Ghost. 
Malachi 4 and 5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now this was partially fulfilled when John the Baptist came on the scene, but I believe it was fully fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah that was confirmed by Jesus in Luke 1 and 17 when he said, And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Pardon me, Jesus didn't say that. It's just in the Gospels. But Jesus confirmed it in Matthew 11 and 14 when he said, And if you will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. Let's ask ourselves this question today. Who is the spirit of John the Baptist or who is the spirit of Elijah? Is this spirit in operation today? The answer is yes. It's the Holy Ghost. The spirit of John the Baptist, the spirit of Elijah, nothing more, nothing less than the Holy Ghost. Nothing more, nothing less than the Holy Ghost. Let's look at the parallels between John the Baptist and the Holy Ghost in Scripture. In Luke 1 and 15, For he shall be great, talking about John the Baptist, in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's wombs. Speaking of John in Isaiah 40, Verse 1, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. This whole chapter prophesies of John. And then in John 16 and 7, uh, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Jesus calls the Holy Ghost a Comforter. John 1 and 7, the same came for a witness, speaking of John the Baptist, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. John came to bear witness of the light. And there in Hebrews 10 and 15 it says, Wherefore, the Holy Ghost is also a witness to us. This refers to the Holy Ghost as a witness. John 3 and 30, John the Baptist even said of himself, He must increase, but I must decrease. The words of John the Baptist. John 16 and 14 said of the Holy Ghost, Jesus said, He shall glorify Me, for He shall receive of Mine and shall show it unto you. The task of the Holy Ghost in this hour is to cause you to decrease and cause Jesus Christ to increase. John the Baptist preached fiery sermons, pointed his finger at those religious hypocrites and Pharisees. He said, bring forth fruit worthy of repentance, ye vipers, ye snakes, you must repent, you're all going to likewise perish. And Jesus said of the Holy Ghost, when He comes, He's going to reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. The Holy Ghost comes to baptize you with an anointing of fire. And John the Baptist was a man full of the fire of God. On the day of Pentecost, we receive that Spirit. We receive the Holy Ghost. John the Baptist baptized in the River Jordan. And when we receive the Holy Ghost, the Bible says, out of our belly shall flow rivers of living water. John the Baptist was a voice crying in the wilderness. The Holy Ghost is the voice. Turn to Joel chapter 2. This spirit of Elijah, spirit of John the Baptist, preparing. Preparing the true bride of Christ. And that's the Holy Ghost. Speaking of the latter day outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Famous Pentecostal verse. I'd like for you to read it. 
And it shall come to pass afterward that I'll pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out of my Spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens. And the earth, blood, fire, pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness. And the moon into blood. Before the great, notice this, before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. This fulfills Malachi 4 and 5. If you remember the same phrase is used. Listen to me from time to time under the old covenant. God would put His hand upon a man and separate him unto Himself. Fill him with His Spirit. Give him His Spirit that His will would be and His kingdom would come to pass. Separate that man. But in this hour, since the day of Pentecost, according to Joel chapter 2, we all can be partakers of the Spirit of Elijah, the Spirit of John the Baptist. Only one question I want you to know this morning. Ask yourself this. Do you have this Spirit? Do you have the Spirit of John the Baptist? Do you have the Spirit of Elijah? Do you have the Spirit of the prophets, which is the Holy Ghost? If you have the Spirit of John the Baptist, you will walk like John the Baptist. If you have the Spirit of Elijah, you'll walk like the Spirit, like Elijah walked. If you have the Spirit of the prophets, you'll suffer what the prophets suffered. You'll preach what the prophets preached. You'll live like those prophets lived. That's the Spirit you're going to have to have. You're going to make it in these last days. You've got to receive of the Holy Ghost. They've got another Spirit that will speak to you Scripture. It will tell you that it will prepare you. But it's preparing you not for Jesus Christ, but for that Antichrist. Do you have the Holy Ghost? It's not some radical, souped-up, exclusive Spirit for only a few that makes... You know, you heard people say that. Well, he's got the Spirit of John the Baptist. I say, if you say that, you ain't got the Holy Ghost. Because that's all i got is the Holy Ghost. Had people say that to me all the time. Well, you just like John the Baptist. you got kind of a John the Baptist spirit. That's why you scream and holler. That's why you preach so hard against sin. I'm telling you this morning, if a man don't preach against sin, he don't have the Holy Ghost. He don't have the Spirit of Elijah. He's not right with God. He's not speaking for God. This is the Holy Ghost. There is only one Spirit of God Almighty, and He prepares His bride. Only one. Only one. Only one. Everything else is counterfeit. That Spirit's preparing a spotless, a holy, a pure, a faithful bride for the return of Christ. The other Spirit prepares the strange woman. Now, can we understand and perceive this Spirit? Can we discern? Yes, the Bible has much to say about it. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. These are types, you know. I believe you can type John the Baptist. You can type Elijah. It's types of the Holy Ghost. Who were their greatest enemies? Who was Elijah's greatest enemy? Jezebel. Who was John the Baptist's greatest enemy? Herodias. Strange women. Strange women. They had type of that antichrist. 
First John 2, 18 through 22. Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. And that word many in the Greek means diverse, manifesting itself not only in great numbers in a variety of forms. Manifesting itself not only in great numbers, but in a variety of forms. Many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Any question in your mind that we live in the last days, amen, you ought to just erase that. You ought to forget that. We live in the last time. It says right here, whereby we know that it is the last time. So many different spirits, different gospels, different Jesuses. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would know to have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Where did they originate? They originated in the church. Do you hear me? They was in the church. They were of them. They were a partakers. I believe they backslidden men and women. Do you hear me? Listen to me. Backslidden preachers that walk just so far with God. You hear a warning of the Holy Ghost this morning. I warn you, don't you, you, you just go so far with God. There's a line He'll cross. If you won't go across it, you're going to be turned over to another spirit. Every time He draws a line for you and say, Now, walk across this and obey. You better walk across and obey God or you're going to be turned over. Men and women that are once right with God, twice plucked up, dead, no fruit, backslidden, seven times worse. It's been better for them never to know the way of truth than to turn from the holy commandments. Why? Because now they're fashioned to be vessels for this spirit that prepares this false church. You say, oh yeah, the spirit of Antichrist is talking about Buddhists. And, and you know, the Mormons. Oh, I believe they're a spirit of Antichrist. But right here, they're talking about some that was once with them and walked away. Do you hear me? They once were partakers of Christ. They was once in the church, but they rejected the truth. They departed out of the way. But ye have an unction from the Holy One. You know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lies of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Look at first John chapter four, verses one through six. Beloved, believe not every spirit. Oh, got everybody breaking that admonition right there. They believe anything that speaks in tongues, anything that dances, anything that comes in the church house must be God. Right here, the Holy Ghost says, don't you believe every spirit, but try. You know what that word means? It means judge. It means judge not. The Bible says, I need to judge the spirits. Don't you hear a man or woman say that? Judge not. That's a devil that would say that the Bible commands me to judge, but not by my own intellect, not by my own opinions, not by my own heart, but by the Word of Almighty God. If you cannot judge, you're going to be one confused individual. You must take this Word. You must walk by it. You must know it. You must let it be a light under your path, a light under your feet. You're not going to know which way you go. Let it guide you. Let it lead you. Try the spirits. Judge the spirits. Whether they are God. You can't tell whether somebody's of God or not. Well, then why would God command me to do it? It says have no fellowship with the unbelievers. Don't be yoked with unbelievers. If I can't decide who's a believer or not, I can't fulfill the Word of God. Because many 
false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know you the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, and every spirit is of God, and every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Wherefore, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world, you of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you, he that is in the world, they are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us, and he that is not of God heareth not us. Oh, Brother John, are you going to be that exclusive? Brother John, don't you think that's just a little narrow? You just got a, a, a separatist type spirit. You mean if we don't agree with you, we're not of God? Now, isn't that something? I said the Apostle John, he couldn't be on Christmas, you know, on the pages of Christmas magazine this day, these days. He couldn't be on TBN. They wouldn't receive him. Because he's too narrow-minded, judgmental, divisive and critical. But that's what he said. He said, they are the world, therefore speak they of the world. And the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby I know we the spirit of truth. And the spirit of error. You want to know the spirit of truth? And the spirit of error? What don't hear this apostolic gospel? You hear me? What does not hear this apostolic gospel? Is not of God. That's the Bible. I said that's the Bible. That's not the, you know, the philosophies and the, and the laws, the carnal laws of this professing church world in this hour. You say, well what does that word mean? Confess it. Because that just seems so simple. That's the, you know, listen to me. Confession is much deeper than just an utterance from the mouth. How many of you know that? You can't go, you go down to the ballroom here any, any night and start asking people as they come out and say, do you believe Jesus has come on the floor? Yes, sir, I do. But that don't make them saved, does it? It's a deeper principle than just an utterance from the mouth. In the same sense, so is denial. So is denial. It's a deeper sense than a man having to say, I do not believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin or lived a sinless life or rose from the dead. It's a deeper principle. It's a matter of the heart. That word confess in the Greek means to make covenant with. To come in an agreement with in such a way that it's a covenant. It's not an utterance from the mouth. And it's closely related to denial. Confession and denial are the opposite of one another. The two Greek words are the opposite of one another. So, I can look at denial as this. Confession is for me to make covenant. If Jason and I make, if I confess according to that Greek word with, with Jason, if I confess Jason, then I'm making covenant with Jason. If I deny Jason, then I deny the God breaks the covenant with him. And I can walk around all day and talk about me loving Jason or me hating Jason, and that's just on the surface. It's all about covenant. If I break the covenant with Jesus, then I deny him. Then I deny him. Let's make some observations about recognizing this spirit of Antichrist that's preparing this false church from these verses here. It denies Jesus Christ. And we just talked about it much deeper, much deeper principle. Matthew 15 and 8, Jesus said, This people draweth unto me with their mouth 
and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You see, he's pointing out it's a deeper principle than just a, you know, an utterance from the mouth. Matthew 10 and 33. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. You can deny Jesus verbally, but you can also deny him in the way that you live. Titus 1 and 16 said that they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. Being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work, reprobate. You don't live for Jesus Christ before this wicked and undone world and you deny Him. You deny Him. You're denying Him. You can talk about Him all day. You can preach to your tongue. Drag the groan. You're denying Christ. You're saying there's no power in the gospel to set me free from sin and cause me to live holy. Somebody's going to have to be denied. That's the principle. Each and every morning you wake up and you decide whether to deny yourself. That's what the prophecy, talking about that Scripture, pick up your cross daily. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. It's the cost of discipleship. If you do not deny yourself, then you're gratifying self and you're denying Christ. You've got to choose. You've got to point to that old man. That criminal, Barabbas, and that's what Barabbas means in the Greek. It means the natural man. Crucify him. Crucify him. You're going to choose Barabbas each morning, which is you, your old man. Or you're going to choose Jesus. You've got to walk in that death of self. Or you deny Jesus. It's a worldly spirit. It's a worldly spirit. It loves the world. The world loves and hears it. It produces worldliness. And receives worldly ideas. That gospel that's preached by that false church, that spirit that prepares that false church is a worldly spirit. It'll receive from the world. It'll exchange ideas from the world. That's whenever I talk to somebody and they profess Christ and they begin to utter things that's worldly, that's from the vain philosophies of this world, immediately alarm goes up in my spirit. Now that individual may not have, you know, knowledge, may not be taught. I'm not just going to, you don't think they're wicked but immediately I'm going to see that they're receiving from a worldly spirit. And the spirit of Antichrist does not mind the world. If you are a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. And it embraces very subtle though. Very subtle. It's a mixture. Her ways are unmovable that you can't know. It'll reject God's truth and God's people. I said it'll reject God's truth and it'll reject God's people. If they've kept my saying, they'll keep yours also. That's what Jesus said. If they keep my saying, they're going to keep yours also because you're going to be in me. We're one. We're unified. The church and Jesus. In other words, hey, if, you, if they know me, they're going to know you're preaching the truth. And they're going to come under because you're only saying what I'm saying. Its error will become greater and greater and will lead to eventual apostasy. And I've seen that time and time again when men and women take just a little step to the right little step to the left. And will not repent. God's very long-suffering. May let them go for, I don't know how long. I'm not God. May let them go for a season, discipline, chastising, trying to bring them back into the way. But it's always going to lead to greater and greater error until eventually it becomes apostasy. That word antichrist, in the Greek, anti means in direct opposition to. When we think of antichrist, we think of, you know, heavy metal and and you know the Satanist, and so it is, I know that. But that's, that's not the more subtle forms, the more dangerous forms. The devil is the master of deceit. 
He knows that we're not going to receive. You know that? Well, at least you'd think that the church wouldn't receive that, though they have. But He knows the remnant's not going to receive. You know, a devil, somebody come in here with a bone in their nose and dance around a fire. Not going to receive that. It's got to be more subtle than that. We think of Antichrist, we think of something obviously wicked. It says in direct opposition to, but it also says, or in place of, or instead of. That's what that prefix, any, means. In opposition to, or in place of, or instead of. And Christ means the anointed one, the anointing. A false anointing, a false Christ, is in direct opposition to Christ. You can turn on MTV, that's a direct, that anoint, that's an anointing, a demonic anointing. That's in direct opposition to Jesus Christ. But they also have a false and counterfeit anointing that's in place of or instead of. It's a counterfeit, not the genuine, not the real, but it masks and cloaks itself as the genuine, as the real, to deceive. Now I'm going to show you eight attributes or characteristics produced in those that receive this Spirit. I was talking to uh, Brother Bob over here. He was telling me the other day that when he went to Pensacola, that immediately he knew it wasn't God. And you know what he attributed that to? He said, the pastoral authority I was under and all the preaching that I've heard from Brother Clendenin established a sound foundation in my heart. Do you hear me? A sound foundation in my heart that I could discern. Do you hear me? Now, I'm not saying that it's preaching alone that helps you establish discernment. It's not. You've got to have the Holy Ghost. The Bible says the anointing. You have no, that's exactly what that Scripture is talking about. You don't need a man to teach you that you've got the Holy Ghost within you, the teacher. And He can help you discern the truth. But the Bible also says that the fivefold ministry is given for the perfecting of the saints. And the longer I live for Jesus, the more I see that if that link in the chain of discipleship, in the chain of maturity in a Christian's life, if there's a breach there, you'll find men and women that are aimless and confused. There's got to be a voice crying in the wilderness. There's got to, just like when we went to the conference, it's not that I didn't hear anything that I hadn't already known in my spirit, but you know what it did? It told me I'm not the only fanatic in America! It encouraged me. wasn't something I didn't already know, but here's a man that's lived for God for some 45, 50 years, standing in a pulpit under the anointing of the Holy Ghost and telling me that which I already know. That's what this pulpit is for. To encourage, to build you up, to strengthen you. And that which the Holy Ghost has already taught you. If you don't have that, always going to be buffeted. You, I'm not saying you can't make it if you're in a place where you can't find a church. But I'm telling you, it's of a high priority. And therefore, as a pastor, it's a high priority for me to preach the gospel and to point it out to you. These eight attributes or characteristics are going to be produced in those that receive the Spirit. Number one, this Spirit will hide its false and erroneous doctrines under the guise of love. Humanistic thought. Turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. They're going to cloak it. With that word, love. And there's going to be two ways that they're going to pervert the love of God. First of all, the love of God toward man. First John 4 and 8 says, He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. How many of you ever heard people, how many of you ever heard the rebuke? When they rebuke you. Now, God is love. They don't know the definition of love. 
But you know what they're doing? They're taking this verse of Scripture and they're trying to define God. What's the Holy Ghost trying to say through this verse? Is the Holy Ghost, would the Holy Ghost dare try to define Himself by using the word love? You know, Charlie is a landscape architect. That's a big word. He's a, he's a lawn boy, you know, but I mean, he's a, let's use the word, he's a landscaper. And you may go out to a yard where he has, you know, cut the grass, he and Jason. And that's the work of their hands. But can I define Charlie and Jason by the way they cut that yard? I can't. They are the Creator and that is the creation. It's the work of their hands. Love is created by God. Can I define God, the Creator, by His own creation? I cannot. I can't box up God in love. What this verse is trying to teach us, the definition it's trying to give us, is not a definition of God, but a definition of love. What is love? Look to God. What is God in the beginning? Was the Word, the Word was with God. And that Word became flesh. Jesus Christ is the Word. You want to know what true love is? This is the definition of love. Sodom and Gomorrah walking in strange flesh when that fire fell from heaven and burned that city to the ground. That's not contradictory to love. When the rains descended like they descended this morning and drowned a whole world of rebellion. That's not contradictory to love. Do you hear me? That's a definition for love. This is the full definition of love. Don't you let somebody try to tell you just because you rebuke sin that you don't love somebody. Faithful are the wounds. Do you hear me? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Do you hear me? Oh, but they use that all the time. They're trying to guide, trying to put another, undermine the real definition of God's love. If you want to know what God's love is, it's right here. Right here in the Word of God. God's love was manifest toward us through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. A lot of talk about love in the world. You know, you hear, you know, the liberal media, the pro-death camp, gays and lesbians, radical left groups, oh, they all talk about love. But they're not speaking about love, they're speaking about tolerance. They want us to tolerate homosexuality. They want us to tolerate, you know, atheism and, and just for, for all women. And, you know, because we speak out against it or say it's wrong, they say we do not have love. Don't you understand? Can't you see what the Bible says? They hear. They hear of the world. They receive of the world. That's in the church in this hour. They're not speaking of the love of God. They're speaking of tolerance. They speak of tolerance. Isaiah 55, 8-9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. William Booth said this, the founder of the Salvation Army, I fear the day will come when men will preach salvation without regeneration, faith without repentance, and heaven without hell. A profound and prophetic statement. We live in that hour, ladies and gentlemen. We live in that hour right now. Listen to me. If I went, you know, I've always used this analogy to explain, you know, the true gospel and the love of God and how, you know, we're supposed to express the love of God toward man. There are conditions to be met before you can receive of that. There's not a sinner on planet earth that is under the love of God. 
And I always like to use this parable. You know, suppose Jason had, you know, a great uncle in, you know, Detroit somewhere. And he was a billionaire. And Jason was the only heir to that estate. And that man filled out a will right before he died. And, you know, as he died, he hired me as, as a representative to, to come down and contact Jason upon his decease, you know. And then he died and he, he, you know, his lawyer contacted me and sent me as a messenger to Jason to tell him about the will and tell him about, you know, everything that's included in, in the benefits of receiving that estate. And I fly down here and, you know, I come to Jason's home and knock on the door. Now, the conditions for him to receive the estate in the will is that he has to be at the funeral. He has to be there as one of the pallbearers. And he has to stay, you know, with the family for two days after they bury the man. And then he's flying back home. And I go to Jason's house, knock on the door, and he opens the door. And I say, Jason, you are a billionaire. Is that the truth? It's a partial truth. It's not the whole truth. I had not told him the conditions for him to meet. If he's not there, he's not going to receive any of the estate. And if I go out here and tell men and women, Jesus loves you. And that's all. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in John chapter 3, John the Baptist said, The wrath of God abideth upon the unbeliever. That word abideth in the Greek means present tense. Every single sinner on planet earth is under the wrath, under the judgment of God. He doesn't benefit from the love of God. He doesn't know the love of God. The love of God is manifest toward him. Do you hear me? Everywhere you read in the Bible, it talks about the love of God. Extending to mankind, it says it's extended to him, toward him, offered to him. And I go out and tell him, look, you need to repent. Jesus died for you. You'll never find nowhere in the New Testament men preaching that. Jesus not one time walked around saying, I love you. Not one time. You'll never find it. He fought and forgot the number. hundred, you know, two hundred times. Between a hundred and two hundred times he spoke of wrath, judgment, condemnation, and hell. As opposed to only six times in the four Gospels did he ever mention the love of God. In the book of Acts, every public proclamation of the Gospel, not one time did those apostles say, Jesus loves you. Not once. But if you go around in the evangelical world and ask them, could you sum up the gospel in three words or less, 95% of them will say, Jesus loves you. That's another spirit. Now, I know a lot of people say that sincerely. I said it when I first you know, went on the street and started preaching until God taught me otherwise. They'll pervert man's love toward God. John 14 and 15 says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Oh, that blows 20th century theology away right there. First John 2 and 4. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a lie, and the truth is not him. Listen to me. If I love God, I must hate sin. If I love God, I must hate sin. If I love something passionately with all my heart, it only makes logical sense that I must also passionately hate the opposite of the object of my love. If I love the light, I must hate the darkness. I can't love light and hate and love, you know, darkness at the same time. It's a contradiction. Therefore, I cannot love God and love my sin at the same time. There's got to be repentance. That's the element of the gospel. The first thing Jesus came, preach and repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You've got to be severed from that which separates you from God to love Him with all your heart. Proverbs 8 and 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to... Hate. The fear of the Lord is to hate. I don't know about hate. Oh yeah, the fear of the Lord is to hate. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth. Do I hate? If you have the fear of God in your heart, you will hate what God hates. 
You will be grieved when God is grieved at. You will have God's heart. And listen to me, if you don't have God's heart, you cannot speak for God. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. If you do not have the heart of God, you cannot speak for God. You can't speak as the oracles of God. You're not going to be a vessel yielded to God to be used in these last days. Hebrews 1 and 9 says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Talking of Jesus. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Jesus never hated. Oh, yeah, He did. He hated iniquity. He hated everything His Father hated. That's why He was in union with God. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. You hear me in this house today. Preacher, singer, whatever you are, you want the anointing of Almighty God, you're going to have to hate sin. That's the key to the anointing. To hate sin with all your heart. To have a passionate hate for everything that God hates. That's why I always pray, oh God, cause me to hate with a perfect hatred, with a passionate hatred, with a hatred that will drive me to action. Everything that you hate, everything that you love, I want to love. Richard Wormbrandt said this, the language of love and the language of seduction are basically the same. You listen to this quote. The language of love and the language of seduction are basically the same. We're talking about how this spirit perverts love. The one who wants a woman for a wife and the one who wants her just for the night both say, I love you. But they mean totally different things. One speaks of commitment. The other speaks of gratification. Oh, that's good. Do you hear me? That's good. You hear me? That's that. that describes what's going on. That's this false gospel. You hear me? Oh, that's this false, you know, dedication to God. That's this a counterfeit spirit. That's this, you know, false conversion. That's what the tear says. That's what the tear preaches. And that's what the tear says about its relationship with God. Most people in America who profess Christ, they look into God only as their own personal whore to gratify their needs. That's all they're looking to God for. They say, and I love you, but they mean totally different things than the man or woman who's been converted who serves Him simply for who He is. Number two, they will promote an ecumenical spirit and an ecumenical gospel. Jeremiah 6 and 14. Turn there with me. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. That word ecumenical, Webster's defines it as promoting or tending toward worldwide Christian unity or cooperation. They're going to promote this false unity. There is a unity. We talked about unity not long ago. The unity of the brethren. Amen. Jesus and His church are unified. Amen. They all Because Jesus prayed that. Do you believe that Jesus believed what He prayed? The Bible says if you believe, you have whatsoever things you pray, then you have them already. Do you believe Jesus had any doubt in His heart? He prayed it. I tell you, the church has always been unified. It may have been persecuted. It may have been scattered. But in mind, amen, it's always been one with Christ. Amen. If I love Jesus and you love Jesus, then you and I are going to get along. Amen. If you believe the Bible and I believe the Bible, then we're not going to have no problem getting along. Spiritual unity. Spiritual unity. One with Jesus Christ has always been in the church, the true church of Jesus Christ. But this false peace, this false unity must be manufactured at the expense of truth. And truth is Jesus. The moment I set truth aside, Jesus said, I 
am the truth. The moment I set truth aside, then Jesus is no longer a part of it. It's no longer the church. They've manufactured this false unity, this false peace. And in these last days, the Spirit's going to promote this with the utmost intensity. It's a very important foundation for this worldwide false church of Antichrist to be established. God's not calling a people together. He's calling a people out. Do you hear me? God ain't never called a people together. He's always called a people out. In that same Matthew 24, He talks about the last day will be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Do you hear me? He said they're going to be married and giving in marriage, eating and drinking. What's he say? Something wrong necessarily with those things? No, he's saying they're going to be doing what they've always done. They're going to be unaware. They're going to be asleep to the hour that they live in. But we meditate on what happened in those days. What did he do with Lot? His righteous soul was vexed day to day by the wicked and ungodly conversation of those ungodly wicked men. He sent an angel in there, even though the man had compromised the great mercy of God. He sent an angel in, which is a type of the Holy Ghost, to pull him out. Did he say, now Lot, you need to get along with these here? No, he said, you come out of here for the same day the Lord God is going to destroy this place. He didn't tell him to stay. He told him to separate. What happened in the days of Noah? Noah was separated. God warned him. He said, I'm going to destroy all this. I'm going to, you warned. But what did he do? He said, you build an ark to the separate, to the salvation of your household. You build an ark. You prepare an ark. Amen. That was the separation. Ark's a type of the Christ. And when the day came and the rains fell, Noah, amen, heard the voice of God say, take your family and get inside the ark. You know why? He destroyed everything that was outside of the ark. And if Noah wouldn't have heard the, God, the voice of God, and if Lot would have disobeyed the voice of God, they'd have been destroyed with the heathen. You, let, me hear, let me tell you something today. You walk hand in hand with this world, and the fire of God's judgment fall, you're going to be burned. You walk hand in hand with this world. You walk hand in hand with that false spirit. And when the fire of God's judgment falls, you're going to be burned up. Because God's not calling the people together. He's calling the people out. That's why you say, why, Brother Britt, do you live the way you live? Why do you act the way you act? Why is this church doing the things that this church does? Because my Bible says, be ye separate. Come out from among them. Touch not the unclean thing, and then I'll receive you. The Bible says in Revelations 18 and 4, it says, come out of her, my people. Be not a partaker of her sins, and you do not receive of her plans. That's what God's going to be doing in the last day. He's calling the people out and separating. Separating from that which He is going to destroy. Do you hear me? With a passion, He's going to destroy it. He hates it. Don't think that God doesn't hate it. They hate the truth. These that forsake the truth for the sake of unity. That's hating the truth. That's lightly esteeming the rock of our salvation. Therefore, they establish a truth which is a lie. You can read about that in Romans chapter 1. They serve the creature more than the Creator. They make man the center of the Gospel. Do you hear me? It's humanistic. They make man the center of the Gospel rather than God. They appease their own conscience with that false truth. Right there you've heard of that in Thessalonians where God... Because they didn't receive the love of the truth. God sent them strong delusion that they might believe a lie and be damned. 
First Thessalonians 5 and 3 says, For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. It's going to promote that ecumenical spirit. I can tell you right now, I can't walk with the Roman Catholic Church. I can't walk with the, all these false spirits that preach another gospel. Amen. A lot of them speak in tongues, but I cannot get along with it. Amen. I'm going to be separate from it. I already made up my mind. I'm not trying to flow with everything that dances and speaks in tongues a little bit. I'm going to obey God and maintain the unity in this house. They will resist the anointing and the word of the Lord. Amos 8 and 11 says, Behold, the days come and say the Lord that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. The word of the Lord is quick, powerful. It's living. It's delivered with authority. Do you hear me? God's not going to speak and you not understand and recognize the authority behind it. When God speaks, there's always authority. Where it is that you can't find it on the television set, you can't find it on the radio, it's not there. This nation needs the anointing of God. It needs thus saith God spoken to it. I always use this, you know, I can go to the hospital and find a man there with cancer. I'd walk in that hospital room with a shovel. And I can say, yes, sir, this is a shovel. I can explain all the details about a shovel, how fine a tool it is, what it can be used for. And I can stay in there two hours and not speak one lie about that shovel. I've spoken nothing but the truth to the man. But it's not what he needs to hear. Do you understand me? All across America right now, it's quarter to twelve. They've got men speaking things that are the truth, but it's not what their congregation needs to hear. It's not the Word of the Lord. It's not thus saith God. They're dying. They're dying under delusion. And there's no truth to deliver them. Just because a man's preaching something out of the Bible doesn't mean it's thus saith God. That's what the truth of the Word of Almighty God is. The letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. It's got to be the oracles of God. It's got to be what is God saying to this people at this moment right now. And if God speaks, you know, you've heard me say that to people. Don't preach to me. I feel like you're preaching down to me. If God speaks, you're going to feel like you're getting talked down to. Who you want to hear from, man? If you want to talk to me, then we'll go sit in, you know, and we're on the same level. I'm just a man. If you want to hear from God, when I'm behind this perfect God speaking, and you're going to feel like somebody's preaching down to you. When I was in Russia, they, you know, we was up on a platform there. I don't think nothing about being on a platform. I never really considered it much. It's just a nice place for people to kneel. You know, nothing about it that I've ever thought about. But when we got there, you know, I, I had the pulpit up on the platform. And there was a guy there who said, oh, no, we need to put the, pla- the pulpit down on the floor on an equal level with the people so they'll not think that you're above them. Now, I understand what the man said, but that's a faulty ideology. You know, you go back to those Puritans. You know where their pulpit was? It's in the center of that church. You know, you can go into Charleston and walk in those old churches. And they got a spiral staircase up to that pulpit. That pulpit, sometimes 25 feet above everybody. It was in a place exalted above everybody in the room. They weren't saying the man's above everybody. They saying when this person steps in this place, he's speaking thus saith God. And God is above everybody. They're going to fight the Word of the Lord. They're not going to love it. They're going to hate it. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, What all this amounts to is that what is needed in the pulpit is authority. 
great authority. The pew is not in a position to determine the message or the method or dictate to the pulpit. I would lay that down as an absolute. The pulpit is to make us its, its assessment. And it is to do so with authority. The greatest need in the church today is to restore this authority to the pulpit. The prime and greatest need in the pulpit is spiritual authority. They're going to resist the word of the Lord. They're going to hate it. They're going to fight against it. And haven't you seen that in this hour? When the word comes forth with power and with authority, immediately it's manifest those that are receiving from this false spirit. They'll undermine the fear of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 11, 3-4 says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. How did, the, did Satan, the devil, deceive Eve? I'll tell you how. Undermining the fear of God. He said, oh God, you can say you're going to die. God had said, God had said. He's undermining the fear of God. Undermining that penalty. The wages of sin is death. That's in the book of Romans. It's written to Christians. The devil undermines the fear of God. Have God said have God said, you know if you live in sin, you're going to die and go to hell? Have God said that? When Jesus was being tempted of the devil, He told Jesus to go up in the pinnacle there and cast thyself down. Because God's so holy and He perverted the Scriptures. You know what He's saying? He's saying, Jesus, go to that pinnacle, that tower, and willfully throw yourself down. And you know what Jesus said? Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. They preached that in this hour. They say you can do what you want and go to heaven. You can make a willful choice to fall. You're tempting God. That's the same exactly I told Eve. He's overcome everything that that first Adam faltered in. You study the temptation of Christ. Those same elements are there in the garden. They never made it past the first thing. Those same accusations, those same suggestions were given to Christ, but He overcame. That Spirit's going to undermine the fear of God. Luke 12 and 5, Jesus said, But I forewarn you, whom you shall fear, fear Him which after He hath killed, have power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear Him. That's Jesus commanding you and I to fear God. Hebrews 10.31, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. I had a man up here tell me that a Baptist preacher told him, you know, to fear God is sinful. To fear God is sinful. I don't know how a preacher could say such a thing, but I can imagine what kind of congregation he's got. But the Bible says men depart from evil by the fear of God. If this place is void of fear of God, I can guarantee you this. It's going to be full of all manner of sin, all of manner, all manner of uncleanliness and lasciviousness. Only way a man can depart from evil is by the fear of God. It'll undermine it. That spirit's preparing that bride, that mistress of Antichrist, and undermining the fear of God. It's going to produce a people who will seek the praise and acceptance of men. You've heard me say this. If you're not fear God, you're going to fear something that's going to be men. If you're not gripped with the fear of God, then you will certainly be gripped with the fear of man. John 12 and 43 says, they, And speaking of the religious hypocrites, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Galatians 1 and 10 says, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. 
And oh, I marvel at, you know, the techniques and methodology of evangelism in this hour. And you find men confessing this. You know, well, if we say that and do it this way, we're going to turn all the sinners off. Well, right here, you ought to just read the Bible. You cannot please God. You're not going to do the right thing if you've got that spirit. I don't care if anybody comes up in here. If I have evangelistic meeting, i got two or three people here, and they all get up and leave. I've obeyed God. I've obeyed God. You don't get the thing right in the first place. You're going to create a monster, Frankenstein. I marvel that men would say such a thing. They, they, listen to me. They're going to love the praise of men, the acceptance of men. Jude 1 and 16, speaking of this false church, these are murmurs and complainers. Murmurs. And you find yourself murmuring and complaining all the time? You better be careful. That's the first attributes. That's the first attributes of these. They're going to be in the church, speaking in tongues, always murmuring and complaining. Walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaking great swearing words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. No transparency to them. What they're going to do, they're going to have an inward heart that's unsubmitted to the will of God. The commandments of God are going to be grievous to them. That's what this is talking about. They're going to be in the church. They're not going to be transparent enough to come to an altar and say, my heart's not right, and cry out to God. They're not going to want to be exposed. They're going to run from the light, hate the light. Amen. The, the light is coming to the world. This is the condemnation that men prefer darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But you know that they'll do? They'll stay up in the church and they'll speak great swelling words to their brothers and sisters telling everybody how spiritual they are while all the while they're full of murmuring and complaining and bitterness. Because all they're in the church for is for what advantages it has for them. I'll read that scripture. These are murmurs and complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouths speak of great swelling words, having men's persons and admiration because of advantage. Oh, if I just pull the you know the wool over everyone's eyes, and not you know not let everybody know who I really am, because I surely don't want to be separated, because there is an advantage to being a Christian. Oh, what a wicked spirit! The love of men will grip this last day, false church. The Lord is weary with diplomats, diplomats that fear to offend. Do you hear me? God's weary with that. Do you hear me? If a man's called to preach, he ought to preach the truth whether it's in season or out of season. It don't matter what everybody thinks about it. He just needs to obey God. Dr. Joseph Parker said, The man whose little message and sermon is repent sets himself against his age and will for the time being be battered unmercifully by the age whose moral tone he challenges. There is but one end for such a man. Off with his head. You had better not try to preach repentance until you have pledged your head to heaven. You can't do that if you're still gripped by the fear of man. I'm reminded of that Richard Wormbrandt story. You know, in Romania, when that country began to embrace communism, and the communist government that was taken over there, they called a religious conclave, had a big convention of all the preachers and all the religious leaders. And in that, you know that convention, in that meeting there, they began to stand up pastors and evangelists and preachers and, and one after another began, you know, to talk about how Jesus was a Marxist and, and how the gospel was really, you know, very Marxist in its, in its pattern and that Marxism and communism was patterned after that and they began to, you know, laud praise upon Stalin and Lenin. And, you know, Richard Wormbrand and his wife were there. They'd born again a, a man of God. And his wife looked to him and said, Richard, they blaspheme in the name of Jesus. 
Will you not stand up and wipe the spittle of Christ's face? And he turned to his wife and looked her in the eyes and said, You know, sister, if I stand up here, it's going to cost you your husband. And, her, and she shot back to him and said to him, you know, looked him in the eye and said, Richard, I'd rather not have a husband than be married to a coward. That man stood up and answered those blasphemers, preached the truth. It cost him 14 years of his life in a Romanian prison. He was tortured and beat when they let him out. He could barely walk. His wife went to prison as well. His children came and blasphemed God before him, spit in his face. So later they came to the Lord. All that while he never knew what happened to his wife, never knew what happened to his children. But I can tell you this today, he can sleep. He did not with a clean conscience. He didn't fear man. He stood up no matter what the price it cost and preached the truth. In this hour, all we got to do is be rejected and let our reputation be ruined. We ain't got to go to prison yet. We ain't got to. You don't die in the natural. All we got to do is be hated a little bit. And how many people in the church are fearful? fearful to preach the truth because they've received of this other spirit that promotes the fear of man. It will produce an effeminate people. And that word effeminate in the Greek simply means soft. You know, we always use effeminate, you know, to say sissified. And that's not, you know, really that off. But a more accurate translation of that word is soft. In fact, it's translated soft when Jesus spoke of John the Baptist and said, what you came out to see? A man in soft clothing, really? the same Greek word translated effeminate when it says the effeminate shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But that word in the Greek means soft. And Webster's Dictionary defines effeminate as a society marked by weakness and love of ease. I'd go to that church, but the preaching's too hard. Well, if you don't like hard preaching, that must mean you're soft. Because soft is the opposite of hard. There's nothing wrong with hard preaching. I don't really believe in such a thing. There's only the preaching of the Bible. And people label this hard because they've got a soft Jesus and a soft gospel, another Jesus, another cross, another Christianity. And effeminate people, this fear will promote that. And, and you know, it's manifest in the natural inclinations of people and their mannerisms. How many times have you gone into churches and seen the men there? You're scared to shake their hand, you might break their fingers. No spiritual backbone about them. Got all the women running the church. You know, all the men act like women, and the women act like men. That's what this spirit is, a spirit of perversion that perverts the role and the order in the church. Jesus Christ is a man, much a man. I'm not talking about the definition of what, you know, the definition by this society what a man is. I'm not talking about machoism, but I'm talking about a man with courage, moral courage, moral fortitude. But this spirit will produce an effeminate people that will be soft, love of ease. In their moral tone, they'll be easy. And they'll hate that hard preaching. They'll be despisers of the cross. Philippians 3.18, and we quoted this last week from many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And we know that cross represents death to us. Amen. If I embrace the cross, then I must die. Amen. You can't have a cross involved unless somebody dies. You can either try to put the cross on Christ and crucify Him afresh, or you're going to crucify yourself. 
It means death to self, death to self's lust. Death to, death to your own lordship. Death to all your goals and plans. The cross is God's instrument of deliverance through that death. And they're going to be despisers of that. Constantly going to be picking up control of their lives. Constantly walking after what they want instead of Christ. It'll be an up and down emotional cycle in their Christian life because they've never relinquished control. They'll be despisers of the cross. And I talked about this last time. You got a generation of Thomases. You got a generation out here that says, I will not believe unless I can see the scars in his hand and his feet and in his side. Gonna have to see the marks of the cross on this last day church to preach this gospel effectually. But they're gonna undermine that cross. They're gonna remove it. They're gonna have a crossless gospel or a different kind of cross that only wounds you and not slays you. I said, they got a lot of Gospels that will only cripple you, but it won't slay you. It will only harness self. It will only lock him up and give him, you know, a life sentence. I only put him behind bars forever, but it won't execute him. You've got to have mercy on him. No, the real Gospel says death is worthy of self. Death, self is worthy of death. Self is worthy of death. He must die now, not later. True gospel always has the cross at the center, at the heart of it. The last thing, this spirit, it's going to persecute the true church of Jesus Christ. It's starting to do that. There's a polarization taking place in evangelical Christianity. You see in the two women. You see, you hear me? It's starting to be two. They're both grinding at the mill. They're both grinding at the mill. And as this separation and polarization becomes more and more distinct, you're going to find that that which is born after the flesh is going to persecute that which is born after the Spirit. That's what it says in Galatians 4 and 29. But as then, he that was born after the flesh, talking about Ishmael. Amen. How was Ishmael born? Abraham would receive the promise, but he couldn't wait on God. Tried to act in the natural. Amen. Joined up with an Egyptian, a type of the world, and produced Ishmael. In the church right now, you got a false gospel. you got many women that have no faith to preach the gospel. They preach the gospel that's compromised, and they produce spiritual Ishmael. And that spiritual Ishmael is going to persecute. Going to persecute every single time Isaac. Do you hear me? But as it was then, that was born after the flesh, persecuted him that was born after the Spirit. Even so it is now. With passion and with a zeal that nothing else can know but religious persecution. This false and uh, 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 church, this mistress of Antichrist is going to persecute the bride. John 16 and 2 says, They shall put you out of the synagogue. And look, I've been put out of the synagogue. I don't know about you. I've been put out of the synagogue and probably most of you have. Been put out. Men separating, you know, separating from your company because of Jesus Christ, because of the truth. They shall put you out of the synagogue. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he that do that he will think that he doeth God a service. And listen to me, murder is in the heart for way before it's manifested in the natural. And he'll talk about you, run you down, kill you in the spirit, hate you and despise you. Long before they put their hand to you. Amen. I can murder somebody long before I draw blood in the spirit. You hear me? Let's all stand. Those two women, they here today. You hear me? 
I got people in this church receiving that spirit. You better turn that voice off. You better hear from the voice of God. Who are you going to yield yourself to in these last days? Are you going to yield yourself to the spirit of Elijah? The spirit of John the Baptist? Are you going to yield yourself to that spirit of Jezebel? That spirit of Antichrist that undermines, that builds this false church. Her ways are unmovable that you can't know. Psalm 94 and 16 says, Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Or who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Isaiah 6 and 8 says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. God's looking for somebody in these days to receive of His Spirit to be a testimony. You know, there was a time that I looked at everything that was false and just labeled it all as wicked. And I believe it is wicked. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But I, I viewed the people, all the people as wicked. That was wrong. God had to break me of that. And I had to see that there are people sprinkled all throughout, even that which is false. They just have not either obeyed the voice of the Spirit and need just like Lot. Somebody, God ain't sending, He's looking for you and I to be full of the Holy Ghost, to go in and to deliver some of these people, to speak the truth, to live the truth, to preach the gospel. That we can deliver some of these people that are in this bondage. Ezekiel 22, verses 30 through 31 says, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy, but I found none. Therefore have I poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed on their heads, saith the Lord God. Amen. I'm just going to open these altars. If you want to come and ask God to give you a fresh baptism, a fresh anointing of the spirit of Elijah, the spirit of John the Baptist, the Holy Ghost, a heart that wants to follow the leading of His Spirit, then I want you to come and ask God. Make covenant with Him. Let's come. Father, I thank You. Lord, for Your Word, Father. Lord, I thank You, Lord God, for discernment in these last things. Lord, we don't take it for granted. We know, Lord God, it's a gift from You, Father. It's not our own intellect. It's not our own, Father, ability to sort through information, Father. But it's, Lord, it's a gift from You, Father. We recognize that. that discernment, Father, is a gift from You. We can't glory in what You've given us, Father God. There's nothing to glory for. But, Father, we just ask that You continue, Lord, to give us a heart that receives the love of the truth. Give us discernment, Father, as a body, as a church. Purge everything out of here, Lord, that's contrary, Lord, to Your Spirit, Father God. Help us, O God, to have a heart, Lord, that hungers after Your ways, Lord. And Lord, we just pray as we always do, Lord, cause us to hate what You hate and to love what You love, O God. We want that heart, O God. We want that. We desire that, to love You with all our heart. To love what You love, to hate what You hate, to give us the burden of the Lord, Father. We ask that in Jesus' name. Let us not be proud. Lift it up, Lord, in our own estimation of ourselves, O God. But cause us to be humble and broken, Father God, in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray that we can be a blessing, Father, in these last days. We don't know what we're going to face, Father. We don't know what, if, what kind of persecution it will require our life. We don't know that, but Father, I pray You prepare us, O oh God. Prepare us for these last days, Father God. Lord, to have an ear that's in tune to Your Spirit. And Lord God, You promised us. You said, Your sheep shall hear Your voice, no other voice shall they follow. And I pray, Father God, You give us that heart. Lord, the heart, Father God, to hear You as a shepherd. They will not go to the left or to the right. You'll teach us 
to walk in Your truth and Your path, Father God. I ask it in the name of Jesus for this people. Let's just pray. Just make covenant with God. Sarabalabasondo la la masor, e rekiribarosondo la la masor.